The only announcement I have for you this morning is that the daily breads for September, October, November are in. Now, if you're looking for the new large print ones, they won't be out until next month. So, they're just a month off with these. So, but uh, so these are available. There's some on the counter out there and there's some on the table in there. And uh, feel free to take one to a friend or a shut-in or a neighbor, uh, co-worker. It might want to enjoy it as well. Um, in our prayer needs, uh, certainly to keep all of the fire situation uh, in prayer. And maybe a specific area of prayer I was thinking of for this morning would be that all these people that have lost property, that they will be able to settle quickly with their insurance and the state and all the other things that they have to settle with in order to get their homes back and, and restored. So... Uh, just that in our prayer needs. And then Jackie Davis, uh, she has uh, some infections that won't go away and some rashes that won't go away and now she's noticing her breathing is getting more difficult. And Jackie has worked with a lot of uh, hospice people and, and different things in her line of work before she... Uh, had all these issues with her body and so she's looking at it and she's getting concerned that her body's beginning to shut down and uh, so she just asked for prayer it's very unnerving for her and uh, then Lee is at home and she needs prayer she's trying it on her own uh, she's been shopping once and uh, did okay so uh, just uh, keeping her in prayer she doesn't overdo with her leg as she starts using it more and more and it gets stronger and stronger and that she'll be faithful in doing the uh, therapy that she's supposed to do. It's crazy little things like sticking your leg out and just turning it in circles and stuff like that. But uh, just uh, keep her in your prayers. So uh, let's pray together. Father, we bring these needs uh, before You. We think of uh, Jackie and ask that You would be with her. Comfort her as only You can. Uh, she shared with me that she has the confidence that you are with her. And, uh, and so we just, uh, ask that you would just continue to give her that, that absolute confidence, uh, that you're there. And Lord, we would ask for a healing for these infections and these rashes, that you would re- just bring strength and healing to her body. Break the cycle of these infections and bring strength to her body. Lord, uh, touch her lungs and, and give her comfort in her breathing. And Lord, uh, just give her the confidence that you are constantly with her, Lord. And Father, we we ask for Lee that you would uh, be with her as she recovers from this uh, extensive leg surgery that she had, and and uh, that she as she starts working on moving around and getting through her home and 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 taking care of things and her shopping and all of these types of things that You would be with her, strengthen her, and uh, just uh, cause her to know when to stop and and to to just take a break. Father, we we open Your Word this morning. We ask that You would be with us as we share in the book of Daniel, that You would use the words uh, that You've given Daniel to share uh, to influence our lives and our walk with You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
chapter 6 is a transition now. Uh, uh, You recall that at the end of chapter 5, a uh, king of the Medes and Persians by the name of Darius uh, took over Babylonia and uh, right in the midst of Belshazzar's uh, party, uh, he thought his city was impregnable and, and uh, Darius found out a clever way to invade the city and did so and took it over really very quickly and, and, and without a lot of fighting. It was just uh, quite an amazing coup. And so uh, Darius is now in charge of the Babylonian Empire. That was the last thing that he needed to conquer and, and with taking the city, he pretty much has everything in hand. So a new empire... The Medo-Persian, Medo-Persian Empire, uh, with Darius as its first king. And, uh, Darius, uh, as he takes over, uh, we see in chapter six, uh, a transition going on. So let's read the, the first uh, couple of verses of chapter six. It pleased Darius to set over the, to set over the kingdom of 120 satraps to be, and those are governors, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. In other words, he was trying to figure out how to, to set up things so that he could get a good accounting. What it means to suffer no loss is that he would get all the money he could get out of it. And, uh, and so he sets Daniel up as one of the key men over the districts. There's three major districts and then, uh, over a hundred uh, well, 120 plus smaller districts. And each small district had a governor and then there was these presidents, if you will, over each big district. And there's three of them, Daniel being one. That's an amazing thing. But Daniel, you've got to remember, had showed himself uh, even under uh, Nebuchadnezzar's rule and even under uh, Belshazzar's rule as a dependable steward and and one who would do everything he could to make the kingdom prosper, uh, unless it interfered with his walk with the Lord. In those places where it interfered, he stood his ground, and God entered miraculously. We know the stories of, of the, the, the different things that have happened. And so, now we're coming to chapter 6. He sets Daniel up as uh, a person. You know, there's, there's no complaint. There's no fault in him. And uh, so... Uh, that's how Daniel becomes, if you will, distinguished, it says in, in verse 3, above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And so here he is, he's, he, he's thinking about, man, I can trust this guy, he's, he's good at what he does. And you can't help us think, I, at least I couldn't, of Joseph and Egypt and a very similar situation. And how when God's people are put in positions, uh, you know, and, and God blesses them, uh, even, even the, the, in a, a kingdom that they don't fit into in, in religion, they don't fit into in culture, God turns around and blesses them and takes care of them and does miraculous things with them and through them. So, uh, that's what we see here. And it says, then the presidents, the other two, uh, and the satraps, the 120, got together and it says in verse 4, they found a ground for, they were looking to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. Uh, 
In other words, they're trying to find some dirt on him. Okay, and it says, but they couldn't find any ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. He's as honest as they come. His faith tells him, his relationship with God tells him he has to be accountable with honesty and integrity and he, he did his job with, in that way. He was dependable. He absolutely took care of business for the benefit of the king, like I said, as long as it didn't interfere with his faith and his, and his personal relationship with God. So these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now, these guys knew what had happened back in chapter 2 when the people wouldn't bow down to the, to the uh, statue and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got caught and, you know, not bowing down and cast into the... And they're thinking, Daniel's one of these. So we've got to figure out a way to set him up. And so that's the, the, the thing they're going to do. They're going to actually set a trap. And they do it rather cleverly. They, they, and, and this tells you, by the way, as I go into this with verse 6, you're going to see King Darius, in order for this to work, has to have quite an ego. Uh, a substantial arrogance about him. You'll see why as we go through this. Then these presidents and the satraps came by agreement to the king and they said to him, Oh, King Darius, live forever. By the way, they had to, that was his title, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Now, what they're saying is, is once the king signed a law, there was a law that was ruled over the kingdom, if you will. It could no longer be revoked. In other words, the king couldn't come back and say, I undo it. Once he signed it, it was the final seal of approval and it was the law of the land and there was no revoking it. And that's what they're playing on. And so it says he, he signs it. The King Darius signed the document and the injunction. He says, all my, 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 my fans here, <laughs> all my, my leaders, they want me to do this. Oh, they think so much of me, you know. Oh, I'll sign that. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... Now, he didn't do what he's going to do because of that. It just lets us know that he knew the document had been signed, but he went ahead with his normal routine anyway. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, opened towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. In other words, he'd been doing this on a regular basis. Now, what it says is that he's sitting, he's kneeling by these windows that are open. That's just shutters that open out, and he's got this open look now. And he can't, obviously, he can't see Jerusalem, but it's towards Jerusalem. 
And it's towards Jerusalem because that's where he came from and that's where the temple is. And that's where God resides for the Hebrew people. And so that's where he is praying. He's praying towards the temple. It's, it's kind of interesting about Jerusalem. If you're reading through your Bible and you're, you're, you're talking about men from Galilee and it says, and they went up to Jerusalem. Wait a minute, Jerusalem's south. We're so locked into the way we think about things. South is down, north is up, east is, you know, west with sight, you know. Uh, and, and so we, we don't think of the same way. But for the Hebrew people, up was any direction towards Jerusalem. Because that's where the temple was. And so it's an extremely important. And, and when they prayed, they prayed towards the temple. And, and so uh, here's Daniel faithfully praying three times a day. Uh, we, we realize that that's basically morning, midday sometime, and evening. And he makes no bones about it. He gets by his window so he can look out of it and, and see it. And he can be obviously seen doing this. And so it says these men, these guys who went to King Darius and got this law signed, these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition. In other words, they spied him out and maybe watched him multiple times to say there was a habit here and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king... Concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or god within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered or or commented, is actually a, a better translation, said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Now, when Belshazzar or Nebuchadnezzar or something heard things that the Jews were doing that, that were towards their faith, they, it always says they got very angry, they got disturbed, or they got upset. Listen to King Darius' reaction. Verse 14. The king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. He wasn't angry. He was distressed. And the idea of distressed was, oh, what am I going to do? It was kind of a woe is me situation. And he set his mind to what? Deliver Daniel. He says, I've got to figure out a way to get out from underneath this. And he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. He, he, he just everything he could think of. He probably took in a few confidence that he knew he could trust even, and said, "What do you think? What can we do? How are we going to get through this? What are we going to? How are we going to take care of this?" And then these men came by agreement to the king, and they said to the king, "No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that is the king establishes can be changed. You're locked in, guy. We can't do anything." Verse 16 is rather blunt. It says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. But just before that, the king declares this, these words to Daniel. May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. 
he actually offered a prayer. May your God, that you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. Now, it was fasting is not an uncommon thing even in pagan religions, so don't try to read anything into that. But it was his way of, 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 of honoring Daniel and trying to get the gods, if you will, to intervene. He, he loves Daniel. It's, I want you to understand this. He really cares for him. And, and so he's fasting and, and, and no diversions were allowed to come to him. In other words, don't, you guys just stay away from me. All my, my guys, you know, don't bring me any bad news, good news, anything. No, I don't, I'm to be left alone. I'm fasting. And, and, it, and he said, and sleep fled from him. I don't know how many of you have gone through serious situations in your life, but probably most every one of you in one form or another, and you end up unable to sleep because it is so overwhelming. And that's where he was. He was just, he was depressed in a sense. He was anguished. He was overwhelmed. He was, he, he, he was you know, in the back of his mind was, I'm going to lose Daniel. And he was distraught. And he couldn't sleep. He couldn't, he couldn't eat. And his fasting may have been part of it was he just couldn't eat. We get down to verse uh, 19. The break of day. Okay? Or sunrise. Or dawn. You know, the beginning of the day. It says, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, look what he does. He does what really doesn't make any sense to somebody who's been thrown into the lion's den. There should be no voice coming out of the cave or out of the the den. He came near to the den where Daniel was and he cried out, in a tone of anguish, in other words, still this distress, the king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lion's den? Have the from the lions. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I want to see his face. I really do. <laughs> because it says, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent His angel and shut the lions' mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before Him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. I'm an innocent man and God has spared me. The king was exceedingly glad. And this exceedingly means bouncing with joy. It literally means he's, he's just really wound up with his joy. And, and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the, out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded in the, uh, that the men who had come against him with these false charges, and by the way, this was the proof that they were false because Daniel was spared. As far as king is concerned, these lie, Daniel's telling the truth, these guys lied. 
Okay, so he says, he, these guys that maliciously or jealously uh, accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Now, we don't know how many lions were in the lion's den, but obviously it's, it's a few. And what you have here is this, this the law of, of, of the Babylonians, the law of the Medes and Persians, the, uh, the different empires, when, when there was retribution to a family, to, a, to the head of the family, it normally spilled over to the whole family. It could spill over into extended family. Brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles, depending on how severe the king wanted to go with it. But the king and, and these guys, they know this is the law. And so, this, you know, they did this within the background of knowing. They, they, they just felt they had it down. They felt they had it cold and there was no, going to be no repercussion. They must have been positive because I don't think they would have acted frivolously and just take a, oh, we'll take a chance. Because the chance wouldn't be worth it. I think they felt an absolute confidence that they had this made. And, you know, uh, we were talking just here a minute ago uh, about, about the devil having the opportunity to grab at you. I think the devil had these guys hit minds by, you know, clearly. And he, he set them up. So they, actually, they set themselves up. And, and so the end result is, you know, the Daniel comes out, and I can imagine the king just bear hugged him, and then checked him out, you know, just to be sure, you know, that he's okay. The King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages. This is the end result of this. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. That's some kind of proclamation. Tremble and fear. Now, tremble means... To, and fear doesn't, it doesn't mean to sit here in, and, 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 you know, roll on the ground and be frightened and fear in that context. But it does mean to be seriously aware of a God who is in charge. And, and just, you think this thing through. Plus, they're just, they're here, everybody in the kingdom by this is, is, you know, I mean, they had leaders from all the, all over the land. These were family members of all these different people. You can bet everybody in the kingdom knows what's happened. And they're thinking, yeah, I'm going to fear Daniel's God. Yeah, I'm, going to, I'm going to acknowledge that Daniel's God is worthy of, of, of being acknowledged and, and bowed down to and feared. And, and even if it wasn't really in their heart, they were going to do it. And, he, and so he says, you know, tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is, and listen to what he, how he describes him. This is, this is Darius speaking, not Daniel. This is King Darius. For he is the living God, 
enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. And His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and He rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Now, you also have to think, you know, recall, Darius probably knew about the fiery furnace. And, and historically, these weren't the only things that happened to the Jews in these kingdoms. There was some, uh, some evidence of some other things where God delivered them. Okay, and so uh, this uh, is is what happened within Daniel's you know circle of, of events, and 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 so he's probably looking at it and saying this is a this is a mighty God, this is a powerful God, and so he acknowledges him as the God who lives forever, whose kingdom is forever. That's an amazing admission for a pagan king. Now, unlike Nebuchadnezzar, the end of the Nebuchadnezzar uh, chapter uh, five in, in, or four, uh, four implies that, boy, after you read that, you feel like he made a confession of faith. This sounds pretty close to the same thing for me, but I, it doesn't. There's no, nothing to base that on. Uh, no scriptural references anyplace else to base it on. But all I can say is this is not the man that was before the lion's den. There's an amazing change of thinking going on here. End result? So Daniel prospered. He prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, who came after Darius, the Persian. Cyrus the Persian. So he he prospered. And he lives a long life under and, and in leadership roles within his kingdom. I was looking at this, and I was trying to, well, I, I, I didn't even have to try it. It was something that just kind of really hit me. And, and Daniel's life was lived in such a way that there was obvious evidence of who he was. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, too. In other words, they lived their lives. The, the Hebrew people were living their lives as, as a whole in a way that, that they, they maintained their identity as the children of God. They were faithful. They prayed. They, 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 they continued to obey the commandments. And as much as possible, stayed faithful to their faith. Were there Jews who did the, went the other way? Absolutely. There's a, a number of historical references of Jews that became very wealthy and, and merchants and stuff like this. In fact, when, uh, a few hundred years down the road, when the Jews were allowed to go back, there was a whole bunch of Jewish people that did not go because they didn't want to leave all their wealth and, and their new lifestyle and, and, and their comfortable lifestyle. And, and so it was, you know, there's, there's, there's a mix of things going on, but there was a whole central group of, of faithful Jews here. And so there's evidence mounting in their lives. In other words, yeah, these are the guys that pray toward Jerusalem. Yeah, these are the guys that, that uh, keep the law. These are the guys that eat strange food. They won't eat our food. These are the guys, you know, just go down the list of their evidences. And they're not, they're not things that are showy. It's just the way they live their lives. 
They're not trying to say, we don't eat your food. You know, they, they just don't do it. And so they're not going around patting themselves on the back. They just have a lifestyle that shows who they are. If, if, if there had been a decree to round up Jews, they would have had no problem. They would have been able to round up a lot of them. Because there was enough evidence. And, and, and so, a song jumped back into my head. A song from 1977. I haven't even heard it for years. And it was, it was done by a group called the Impact Brass from Ozark Bible College in, in uh, Joplin, Missouri. And they were traveling in the, in the west coast here. And, uh, we, you know, they, they played up here. Uh, they, they played, uh, all over California. And I enjoyed their music so much that, you know, Kathy and I kind of trailed them. We, we had a vacation coming, so we followed them down to Atascadero and heard them again in Atascadero. And then they were going to go play in Disneyland, so we decided we're going to go to Disneyland. And they, they actually played for, for two days in Disneyland. We went to their concerts there too. And uh, it was interesting. My sister went with us as well. She ended up going to Joplin, Missouri to Ozark Bible College. Uh, but it was, it was just, I, their music was awesome. They were very talented musicians uh, and singers. It was uh, a brass band, uh, orchestra actually, and a choir. And uh, their song that they sang, one of them was called Evidence. And I found out that there's another song written in 1977 as well. So they were parallel and they have similar uh, verses by uh, Larnell Harris, who was a Christian singer in the 70s. And so I just wanted to share a little bit of this song. It says, Evidence, evidence. Does your life show enough evidence? Evidence, evidence. Would they know, would they put you away? Listen to me now. Evidence, evidence. Do you live enough evidence? Evidence, evidence. What does your life say? That's the opening to the song. And then the verse is, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If they took you in front of a panel of judges, could they find a staunch witness to help convict you? In other words, could they call on witnesses to say, yeah, he prays three times a day from the, you know, whatever, okay? Or would they find somebody who's seen you in the shadows, but they couldn't repeat all the naked truth they know? Would, would the uh, prosecution have the uh, affidavits to hang up? Or would the master suffer by your show? And it goes on. And it's, it's a very convicting song. And... This picture, like I said, it, it makes me start thinking, you know, this song that made such a major impact on my early walk with the Lord and, and uh, uh, the idea is, is basically what it's asking is, do you have the marks of a Christian? Do you recall what we went through just recently in Daniel, or I mean Daniel, Romans, uh, in, the, in the 12th chapter, uh, we, we went through all of this uh, very carefully. It was, uh, started with chapter, uh, verse 9 of chapter 12. It says, uh, Let your love be genuine. 
Are you known for genuine, sincere love? Not just for your family, but for the people around you, even for your enemies. Are you known for this? Uh, do you show honor to one another? Zeal in a sense of, 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 of wanting to honor people. Are you fervent in spirit? Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. These are, all the, these are the marks of a Christian. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it was the, the list was there. And then what you could do is just go to the Beatitudes. If you wanted to, to just do it in probably one of the simplest ways. The Lord's on that mountain and He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. By the way, you know what you're supposed to be mourning over? Your sinful life. You're mourning because you are dead in your sins. God says, if you're, if you're mourning over your sins, if you're recognizing your sins, God's going to come along and comfort you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall uh, receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And then it tells us something very interesting. It says, Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You are what gives the world flavor, if you will, and, 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 and to preserve. You are the salt of the earth. You bring the words that will bring peace, pleasure, and happiness, and pre preserve. That's what salt was really used for, was to... Was to Preserve the meat. That was it. Was extremely valuable. He says, "You're that. You're that person. You're you're bringing life. You're bringing preservation." And then he adds to it, "You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father." who is in heaven. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Won't let Satan put it out. <laughs> you know, just a kid's song. But that's what this verse was all about. So I'm, I'm giving you this. These are the things that are evidence of who you are. And, you know, it's... Uh, it, it's not something that you're supposed to be doing in a way that is obnoxious or taking your 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 thirty-pound uh, King James Bible and, and knocking it over somebody's head, you know this type of thing. It's just simply how you live your life because eventually, at least uh, uh, once or twice in your life, if not more, somebody will come along and say, "Why do you live the life the way you live it?" 
And Peter says, be ready to give your testimony. 1970, 76, 75, in a restaurant in Paradise, California, I asked some guy why two hours later after listening to his testimony, I read the Bible, the New, uh, the New Testament, the Gospels through for the first time. And it was the door. It was the time. God wants us to be the salt and the light of the world. Christ was, was, was that. He revealed who the Father was. He, he, well, what does it say in, in, in John chapter 1? Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was uh, life, and, and, and the Word was the life of men. And then it goes on to talk about you know, in, that He was the light of the world. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, the familiar verse for us all is, is you know, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that who would ever believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But it's the rest of it... Uh, you know, that, that is really interesting. It goes on after that. It says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. And so, we have come to the light and we are to become the light. And I want to make sure that you understand. He says, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He says, you're not the reflection of my light. I've heard so many sermons on, we're to ref- you know, be like a mirror and reflect the awesomeness of God. In, in the- no, it's internal. It comes from the inside out indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't hang around us. He's in us. And we are to reflect the light of Christ in our lives. And so I'm just going to suggest to you that that's the evidence. And and Daniel had that. He had the evidence of God's presence in him. And it's interesting. The world hated him. He wasn't doing it to, to, to condemn them. He didn't go around saying, oh, King Darius, those are a bunch of idiots or anything like that. He just did his work for God and in the process was honored by man. Isn't that an awesome picture? You know, I, I just get excited when I talk about it. And when we move into communion, we see that you know, this, this light that came into the world, this, this, the, the Word that came into the world became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, verse 14. And, and you, know, you move on to, to uh, you know, Philippians chapter 2. It says, uh, He emptied Himself and became flesh and dwelt among us. Even as a man, fully man, by the way, is what this, the, the terminology meant there. And even as a servant of men, even to the point of the cross. And so as we go to communion, the light of the world went to the cross on our behalf. And now, as believers, He's asking us to take His light, make it our own, 
and share it with someone else. And so let that be one of the thoughts that you have with communion today. Is this happening in my life as much as it could? And, uh, you know, I, just the fact that you're in church is, uh, is something, by the way. I'm not saying that's enough. I'm just saying that's something. I had a friend of mine uh, down in, in, in uh, San Bruno, pastor of a, of a church, and he says, the neatest, the, one of the neatest witnesses of, a, of churches is the full parking lots or streets were around them uh, on Sunday morning. And I just thank you all for being here this morning. You've helped your, that witness be something within the framework of the community. So, let's uh, prepare to share in communion. We have again the two trays, one with the, uh, the cups, one with the bread, one with the uh, cup of the juice and then the other of the packets. And while we're singing, if you'll come up and, and get your communion, feel free to take it, you know, take two or three back to your seats and share it with other people so not everybody has to come up if you'd like to. And uh, we'll share communion in a few minutes after the song. Thank you.
Book of Hebrews, chapter 9. The author of Hebrews writes, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which is, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but he into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not of his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all. At the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it was appointed for a man to die once, and then comes the judgment, So Christ, having been offered once to bear his sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The night that Jesus shared his last supper with the disciples, he took bread. And as he passed it to his disciples, he invited them to eat it. And he says, And in doing so, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. This is my body given for you. At the end of the meal, he took the cup of blessing and he gave it a new meaning. He said, this is the blood of my covenant that is for you. It's been poured out to purchase the covenant of grace. And he asked us as often as we would share this cup that we would do it in remembrance of him. Father, once again, we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace revealed through the cross. And we celebrate not only the cross, but the words that Jesus put with this. He would not share this cup again until... He returns, which gives us the confidence of His second coming for His church. And as we long for that, think the words, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. At the same point, we, as we wait, that we would be the people You want us to be in the situations You need us to be, helping others see Your light. And Father, we worship You, we praise You, we thank You for the salvation You've poured out on us, the grace You've lavished on us. And as we go, we do so with hearts of gratefulness and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close, please?
Lord bless. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a wonderful rest of the day. It looks like the sun has been trying, but with it being 100 degrees in, in Reading already, it, it's unlikely that we, we may not see it. <laughs> Have a wonderful day. And there's refreshments in the back if you want to stay and visit for a while.